We all want to listen well, and we all fall short. On this episode, Oscar Trimboli returns to show us the four habits that derail our listening and how we can all do better. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 500. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Of course, so much of conversation is about listening. Listening is a skill so many of us have wanted to improve on. It is a skill many of us believe we are at least decent at, if not above average. And it is so important for leadership, the ability to listen. And yet, it is a struggle also for so many of us. Today, I'm so glad to welcome back to the show uh, someone who is just an expert in listening, is going to help us to derail some of the four habits that tend to keep us from listening well. Glad to welcome back to the show Oscar Trimboli. Oscar is a mentor, coach, speaker, and author. He was a director at Microsoft for over a decade and headed up the MS Office division in Australia. Today, he works with leadership teams and their organizations on the importance of clarity to create change, how to embrace the digital economy, and the role values play in the achievement of your purpose. He is the author of the book, Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words. Oscar, so glad to have you back on the show. G'day, Dave. Um, I'm, I'm excited to spend a little bit more time going a little bit deeper into what we started off a year ago. And uh, it's been really joyful to have people from many, many different parts of the world who are fans of yours ask me questions uh, to go a little bit deeper on listening. So thanks for the opportunity to come back. Oscar, the privilege is mine. And as I was thinking about this conversation and I mentioned in the introduction that a lot of us, especially in this community, we like to think of ourselves as good listeners. And I think we all recognize we could get better. And yet the statistic is interesting that something like 80% of people feel like they are above average <laughs> on their listening skills, don't they? Everybody can tell you other people are terrible listeners. They, they, they find it very easy to find fault in others. But they themselves, they're amazing listeners. <laughs> and this is one of the fundamental problems of, of listening. We, we don't know what good is because we honestly haven't been taught it. We don't have a framework to know what poor, better, average, good, great even looks like. Well, I think our invitation is very much going to be hopefully to surface some of these villains, as you call them, that tend to show up in our listening and they, they show up a little differently for all of us, but there are of course some patterns. And if we can recognize those patterns, it can be helpful for us to not necessarily not make the mistakes because we're still going to make the mistakes, but I think that we would notice them a bit faster in the moment when we're not listening well. Am, am I capturing that well? Yeah. And when I either teach or speak on the topic or do some consulting work, I always say, I'm not a better listener than you. I will notice I'm distracted faster than you. I will notice these derailers quicker than you because I know what their labels are. I know what their characteristics are and I can find them quicker in myself than you can. Yet with knowledge, people will be able to get those 
characteristics of those villains much quicker, which will bring them back into the conversation much faster. So the challenge with the listening is simply that of attention. And I spend a little bit of time with people and I was surprised the first time I said this. I said, do you give attention in a conversation while you're listening or do you pay attention in a conversation while you're listening? And what I said was giving attention is an act of generosity. It's an act of curiosity. It's it's an openness in a conversation, whereas paying attention feels like it's taxation. It feels like something is demanded of you. And, and it's not necessarily coming from a place of generosity. It's just something I need to do before I do the next thing. So for each of us, that's that's the invitation I'd make. Are you giving attention? Are you paying attention? That's the starting point to know where you are on that listening journey because, you know, we might have to pay attention to our children. We might have to pay attention to our parents. Yet we might give attention to a manager or a customer. And that's quite interesting. You know, at what points do you notice you're giving your complete and undivided attention versus those where you have to pay attention? And I think that's the starting point in the journey for most of us. Well, as I think about a lot of the training that I've seen over the years and been through myself around listening, a lot of it falls into the category of things I'd probably put in that bucket of paying attention, of making eye contact, of nodding, of summarizing what the person has said. And those are important tactical steps, perhaps. However, you can do all of those things and not really be listening well, <laughs> uh, which mm. I'm sure we'll get to more here in a moment. But I, yeah. I think the invitation will be to get beyond that and to notice that tendency in ourselves. And so let's look at these. And there's four of them. And I should say here up front that there's a wonderful resource that you have created, and it's this beautiful quiz that you can take. It just takes a couple of minutes. And to be able to identify where these show up for each one of us. And you and I have both taken the quiz, and we may talk about our results here a bit. But as folks are listening, there will be some some ways to dive in on this in a really practical way, and then some action steps that come out of it. And the first of these villains is the villain is being the dramatic listener. Mm. What does the dramatic listener look like and sound like? dramatic listener loves listening to a story. They are so into your story. They love your story, particularly the elements of emotion. So if you would have to think about the primary distinction for the dramatic listener, they listen for emotion, they listen for feelings. And when I debrief groups where, where they've done this, you can hear the dramatic listeners talk to the breakout group, or well, I was really listening for how they felt in that situation, or I was feeling really frustrated in that situation. So their primary lens of listening is listening through feelings, and they feel while they listen. Now, what happens, though, is the dramatic listener is so enthusiastic about your story. They love your story. And imagine you're telling a story about a merger you're struggling with, or you're telling a story about a manager you might be struggling with. And the dramatic listener will always say somewhere in the conversation, oh, you think you've got a tough manager. Let me tell you about the time when I had a manager that was even tougher. So the dramatic listener loves to listen to your story because it creates a stage for them to tell theirs. They are a drama performer when it comes to the way they listen. They, they're really listening to help you. 
in their mind that what they're doing is creating a feeling for you as the listener that your story isn't quite as important as their story or worse still you are not as important as them so the dramatic listeners coming from a place of good intent they would they would talk about they're really an empathetic listener because they listen to feel or they're listening through feelings so that's how the dramatic listener shows up in a lot of conversations and i think one of the things the dramatic listener wants to do is before they come to a conversation like that it's just take a moment to go hmm it's not all about me <laughs> it might be about <laughs> them so take a moment to go what do you think they want out of that conversation not just what you want out of that conversation and one of the interesting speculations i had earlier on dave was whether genders are represented differently across these villains and right now we haven't found any significant statistical variation whether men or women listen differently as dramatic listeners they're kind of in that subset group that they're, they're equally represented there because there's a bit of a fallacy that men and women listen differently and anecdotally everybody will nod and say it's true and people would say that you know women listen to feel and men listen to fix and they think that's a universal truth yet the nerdy part of me hasn't found any academic evidence to support that right now oh that's fascinating and this i think about the dramatic listener and i think about what you just said if it comes from a place of good intention i recall a mentor of mine years ago saying that any strength overused becomes a liability for us and mm. the person who tends to have the to, to see this villain creeping up, they get caught up in the emotion so much that they don't hear the idea or the solution, and it's and it becomes about them and the emotion. And I, I'm thinking back to someone I worked with years ago who was very much a dramatic listener, and mm. it, it was really interesting when we'd have a conversation. I would often come away from that conversation and and that person, I had this feeling like they felt like they were so connected to me because they had gotten so connected to the emotion of what I was saying. And if you had asked them afterwards, like, wow, we had this great emotional connection. And yet I would come away from that conversation being mindful that he had that perspective. And yet for me thinking, he didn't hear what I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for for this for this the entire time we were talking, and it was but it, that 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 disconnect was really apparent to me in a lot of conversations. And I it may be an extreme example, but I, I'm wondering where you see this come up, like maybe a situation or example where this has really presented itself. I was working with a client in a merger, and, and they were going on and on and on and on. They they were on the acquired side and. This person had been put in charge of the integration and they kept just going on and on and on about how frustrated they were and how it wasn't fair that the acquiring company should be doing the integration and they went on and on and on. And at some point, I just noticed Peter's shoulders just changed and he took a deep breath in and then he kept going. He just went on and on and he just kept going on about this merger and I didn't say anything in that moment where he took that breath and something 
changed in his body shape for him. But he was in his own drama at that stage. And what's what's interesting to be helpful for the dramatic listener, not to interrupt their stories, but in at the end, when he when he'd finished, I simply said to him, "Did you notice something change for you during the conversation?" And he said, "Oh wow, I thought I thought for about it for a, a millisecond, and then I I moved away." And I said, "Oh, well, what were you thinking about in that moment of high drama?" And he said, "I started to listen to myself and went, I'm really sick of telling my these stories, and I need to take responsibility for my own actions." And I said, but you still kept going on. And he goes, yeah, but if you didn't ask me that question about what changed, I would have lost that moment. So, you know, the dramatic listener is so lost in the stories that they tell that they they just don't have any way to understand what progress is in the conversation. And... Listening is a co-created space. It's a simultaneous equation between a speaker and a listener because both people are simultaneously speaking and listening. And one of the things I always say to people is it's so easy to judge the other person, but we have those characteristics in us all. We have elements of dramatic listener in us, Dave, even if it's not the primary villain that you might get on your score. Um, We have elements of that because listening is different at home versus work. It's different in relationships that are deep versus shallow. It's different in business versus in home life, etc. So for me, that villain, they just need to pause and they need to get out of comparison. And that emotion comes from a place of trying to connect, as you mentioned with your buddy from a couple of years ago, And if they stop trying to get in comparison to the other person, I think that's what will help the dramatic listener unpack or uh, notice when they're getting into that space where they're just listening for the drama. Mm, That's super helpful. The invitation to pause and notice. All right. So let's look at the second one, the interrupting listener. And this person, I think, is the classic example when we think of that person that comes to mind that's not a good listener. I think oftentimes we do think of this type of person first. And how does this look and sound when we experience this person, or maybe even if we are this person? It's interesting in in the data, we know that this is the one that people will nominate themselves the least on, and yet others will nominate them the most on. So the interrupting listener is that Jeopardy contestant that answers the question before the host has finished saying what the question is and they answer the wrong question. The interrupting listener really is a helpful listener. That's their primary orientation. If dramatic is about emotion, then the interrupting listener wants to be helpful. They value time very differently from other people. So the speed of the response is really critical to them. So they show up and the minute you pause, they think it's their commercial break to give you the answer that you haven't been good enough to kind of come to. And we get frustrated with that because what they're doing is they're listening to the first hundred words we say and we haven't even completely explored the idea. Many of the things we deal with in workplaces today are complex, collaborative situations that are problems that need to be solved and they can't be solved with very simple responses. So interrupting shows up as impatient. 
in their head, it's like, come on, come on. I know, I know. Just pause so I can get in there with the answer. And uh, you'll find that whatever answer that I give as the listener, you're, you're there with a yes, but. It's a yes, but, but I haven't finished. Yes, but I haven't fully explained it. Yes, but can you just hang on because there's some other elements of the story I haven't explained. And the interrupting listener, again, is coming from this really helpful place, Dave, but they're not noticing that the person hasn't finished exploring their idea fully. And one simple tip I give the interrupting listener, when the person who's speaking is pausing, listen to the pause fully. Treat pause like it's another word. Listen to the beginning of the pause, the end of the pause, and listen to the pause fully. And then once you've listened to the pause, count 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000 in your head. And in nine out of 10 cases, that will continue the dialogue because they haven't finished saying what they're saying. So as an interrupting listener, just wait. Treat silence like another word. Listen to the beginning, middle, and end of silence, and then count 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, and you'll answer the right question. And the funny thing is, for interrupting listeners, they value speed, but their interruption slows down the conversation. Oh, yeah. It's really helpful for me to have read what you've written on this and also hearing what you said now of just that this comes from a really caring place a lot mm. of the time that the interrupter is concerned and they're trying to actively fix and solve the problem. They are attempting to be useful. And while this isn't the one that typically shows up for me, although there are certainly times I've interrupted people, no doubt, I do find it helpful just to think through the lens of thinking of the interrupters in my life of um, to allow for a little bit more grace and it just having this consciousness of this this does come from a good place as as do a lot of these villains of course it's just that without that pause and without taking the time it ends up taking more time like you said maybe not even in that conversation but where the time comes is then the second or third or fourth conversation that may need to happen because the interruption happened in the first conversation yeah and that classically shows up in the workplace in the team meeting, the work in progress meeting, or the, the check-in meeting where people say, you know, this is what I offered to complete last week. I've got it done. And then the person will say, but that's not what I asked you to do. So the promise at listeningquiz.com is that you'll get four hours a week back in your schedule because by listening beyond the first set of words, listening not to what they say, but what they mean, if you take a little bit longer at the beginning, the compound impact of that longer longer term means you're going to get a lot more done because there's a lot less waste in the workplace with the back and forth. You're going to have a high-quality conversation initially rather than a series of very fast, distracted, interrupted conversations where you feel like you're making progress because you're writing stuff down and you've got the action plan. But you just got the action plan about the wrong thing. And that'll come back a week later. It'll come back a month later, whatever your operating cadence is. And then all of a sudden, the lack of productivity through poor dialogue with not listening at its heart. If you just take that little bit longer in 
the last discussion, Dave, we talked about the 125-900 rule. I speak at 125 words a minute, yet I can think at 900. Most of us, if all we took out of today's episode was ask the person just to speak for that next 125 words, we'd get closer to what they mean rather than what they say the first time. And in doing that, you'll have fewer wasted conversations and the conversations you do have will be much clearer, more specific, and much more about progress. And it lines up so perfectly with the invitation from Michael Bungay-Stanier, who's been on the show a bunch of times, talking about mm. just be curious a moment or two more. doesn't need yeah. to be an hour more. Just just a, maybe a question or two more can, can really help us to avoid that error that we make of assumptions, and particularly the interrupting listener. That's something they can do to guard against that a bit. Yeah. Ugh, fabulous. The third villain is the lost listener. This one is one that I know resonates a bit for you. You've talked about that this is one of your villains. When the lost listener shows up for you, what does it look like? What does it sound like? So for me, my, my listening batteries are completely drained by the end of the day. When I'm working with clients, I have to role model listening in, in peak level and it's hard work. And I visualize like a, a phone battery Throughout the day, my listening battery continuously gets drained. I only have so much attention I can provide to these people. So the minute I come home, the last thing I really want to do is have a conversation about anything. I just want to eat. I want to hear, hear what's happened in my wife's day. Last uh, night, we were at the dinner table with my granddaughter, Ruby, and we were having a chat about what was happening at school. But whenever those conversations take place, I just drift away and the one I remember most commonly is that when when our family gets together and Jen's brothers love photography, they can talk about it for hours and hours and hours. And they'd often ask me what I think. And, and I, honestly, I'm just drifting away. I'm not paying attention to anything they're saying. And it's like, how long can these people drone on about automatic settings and f-stops and ISOs and all this stuff? And I'm just not there. I'm lost. I'm not in the conversation. I'm distracted and lost by their dialogue. But equally, there's two ways lost listeners get lost. The first is the conversation. So it, it triggers some internal dialogue for them. And the second is devices. The lost listener can be lost on their laptop, on their tablet, on their, on their cell phone. They can be in a conversation, but they're completely lost and distracted there. So for many of us, the lost listener is easy to spot because they rarely keep eye contact with the conversation, Dave. And they, they're rarely saying anything other than, sorry, could you say that again? Mm. And it's really frustrating. I think for the lost listener, a lot of the times they're not sure why they're part of the conversation. And the invitation I always make to the lost listener is to ask the people they're in dialogue with, what do you need from me in this conversation? Mm. So it's, it's very much about how to interact rather than what to focus on. So in a lot of cases, if you simply ask, how, how would you like me to be part of this conversation? Sometimes the speaker will say, look, I don't really need a solution. I just need someone to bounce it off. Ah, okay, well, I understand my role. So the invitation for the lost listener is, 
simply ask the people in the dialogue, how would you like me to participate in this conversation? And all of a sudden, you'll find a reason to pay attention. Ah, fascinating. It's interesting to me, too, that you, uh, in some of your work, you uncovered that the person who tends to be a bit of the lost listener, and I think many of us know someone who is like this, you know, they tend to be not making eye contact or you'll be in a meeting and they'll be looking at a device regularly. I, oftentimes, though, that person, if you ask them about it and they will say, well, yeah, I, I do catch myself doing that. And I sort of know that that's not a good habit and behavior. And yet I do find myself captivated by the device or not making eye contact. What is helpful for them, for the person who does recognize that, but behaviorally has not made that shift? What's a good first step? The simple question is, what is the purpose of you being there if you are going to be on that on that device? This shows up disproportionately, Dave, in managers in one-on-ones where, where staff get really frustrated with managers in one-on-ones where they are supposed to be allocating this time either for professional development or to progress something and things like that. And the manager basically sends a signal that, I'm more important than you. Whatever you're talking about with me doesn't matter and I can be somewhere else. They can literally be physically somewhere else in this process. If they come back to that question, how do you want me to interact in this discussion with you? It gives them a reason to focus. It gives them something to stay focused on, not what people are saying, but how they need to interact in that conversation. Now, for me, I would say very simply, If the conversation is worth having, then put the devices away. If you can't put the devices away, then switch them into flight mode. If you can't put them into flight mode, put them into silent mode. And if you can't put them into silent mode, switch the notifications off. Pick whichever part you want on that journey as a lost listener. But simply this, for that unit of time, what's the best investment you can make? Is it being on your devices or is it having this high quality conversation that you won't have to have next week? because you weren't paying attention. So the simple tip for the lost listener is whatever browser tabs are open in your own mind, switch them off. And the quickest way to switch them off quite often is just to remove the physical devices and then ask the person, how do you want me to interact in this conversation? We've come to the shrewd listener, Oscar, and both you and I know the shrewd listener well because it is the one that comes up on both of our reports as our primary villain. What does Mm -hmm. the shrewd listener look like? Yeah, so the shrewd listener is extraordinarily disproportionately represented in the following professions. Legal professions, accounting professions, any consulting work, any brief-taking professions in uh, medicine. So if you're a a doctor or you're a physical therapist, uh, you might be an optometrist, you're an expert of some sort. And the shrewd listener is an amazing listener. You will explain something to them and the shrewd listener will be, hmm, yeah. And they'll be right into the conversation. They'll have direct eye contact with you and they'll be giving you the nods and the verbal affirmations. And you as the speaker think they're really into this. But imagine closed captioning on a TV show where it's actually telling you what's on the shrewd listener's mind while you're explaining this problem. This is what closed captioning looks like for the shrewd listener where they're going, "Mm, yeah, okay. What's going through their head is, wow, 
wish you'd hurry up. I know that problem. I've treated 48 people in the last five weeks on that problem. By the way, at your age group, I know not only do you have that problem, but you've got another problem that you haven't even thought about. And while you're solving their problem and their next problem and their next problem, because you are the expert, you aren't listening to them. You are prescribing a pill to a diagnosis you haven't even made. So for shrewdies out there, like me, like you, Dave, it's just be present in the conversation. Stop trying to jump ahead and solve the problem that they've got. Just take that time to be present in the conversation and you'll be surprised what you hear when you listen fully to what they say rather than anticipating how to fix it at the end of the day as well. Like we said on the beginning of this conversation, a lot of us in our community, and I certainly put myself in this category, feel like we're above average listeners. And one thing that really became apparent to me is in my work facilitating our academy groups over the years, Mm. when we have conversations about situations and problems that we're helping our members to work through, one of our practices is to spend 10 minutes just asking clarifying questions whenever we get into those conversations. And the rule is, During those 10 minutes, no one's allowed to give advice. No one's allowed to ask leading questions. No one's allowed to share experiences. It's just being curious and asking open-ended questions. And after doing that now for many years, it's really remarkable to me how often the presenting issue or problem is, or the first thing that someone has said, is almost never the underlying issue. And I just think back to all the years where I made so many assumptions, and I'm sure I still do and miss them even to this day, but I think I miss things less now because I now see how often I was wrong before. It must have missed (laughs) so much because I took the first thing someone said, or maybe just the second thing, as truth and then began the going down the expert path of, okay, how do we solve this problem without really hearing fully. And to go back to what we said earlier, it it doesn't mean spending an hour necessarily, but it does mean asking that second or third question to be sure that we're really hearing what's being said. And I think that the thing that I hear in all of these villains is that they all show up for all of us in some way. And there's also a, a very clear step in an invitation that we can take for any one of these that will help us to do a bit better. And and that's a great lead-in to the quiz. And you have this beautiful quiz that you have put together. It's simple to take and do, and it will give folks some insight on where they fall on that. And that you, you may take the quiz and then come back and listen, especially to the section that of the one we talk about that comes up for you most, because I think there, there will be some real helpful next steps. Oscar, for those who would like to take the quiz, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so listeningquiz.com is the starting place to take the quiz. We say it's seven minutes long. People say that's not true, Oscar. I got it done much quicker. I just don't want to overpromise, but seven minutes to take take the quiz. You'll get a personalized report that will tell you your primary villain and your secondary villain, but it will give you three tips straight away that are tailored to your villain type to say, if this is your primary villain, practice this in the next day, week, month. And if you want to practice a little bit longer, you can register in the action plan. You can register for the 90-day deep listening challenge where you'll get one email a week to help you stay focused on those tips 
over an extended period of time. So you're not only learning new information, but you're creating a new habit to move you from a distracted listener to a deep and impactful one. I, I was fascinated. Some Somebody, I was in a webinar. We run a community of practice every fortnight where people can just come in. There's no charge. And we, we do a deep dive on a, on a listening topic. And this lady said into the group, you know, I took the quiz 90 days ago and I did everything on the deep listening challenge. And then I decided to take the quiz again. And my primary listening villain has now declined, but another one has popped up in its place. And she said that her secondary villain, because she wasn't paying attention to it, is now showing up more than she considered. So the good news is the 90-day challenge works. The other news is that listening is a continuous process of practice. It's a skill and it's a strategy. So please don't judge yourself. Please don't beat yourself up about what the report says. You are not your villain. You are a huge well-rounded human being with lots of amazing skills and listening is just one of them yet in listening we can untap a lot of potential not just in yourself but in all those others you interact with as well so the the quiz is something that uh, took about a year and a half of research and prototyping to get it to the place where it is now but the impact it's creating is amazing we will have a link to the quiz in this week's weekly leadership guide at listeningquiz.com so uh, check that out Oscar Trimboli is the author of Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words, and the author of The Listening Quiz at listeningquiz.com. Oscar, always a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Before I share some of the related episodes to today's conversation, I hope you'll allow me a moment of personal privilege. You may have noticed on the top of the episode today, episode 500. An incredible milestone for me, but more importantly for you and the entire listening community that has come together and uh, that many of us have been together for almost 10 years now in this ongoing conversation about how we can really become and continue to grow as leaders uh, and to be able to influence the development of others, the success of our organizations. Perhaps you're picking up the show for the very first time today. If so, welcome. Perhaps you've been listening to all 500 episodes, as some of you have, and many of you have joined us along the way, and some of you have gone back and listened to the earliest episodes and uh, continue to utilize our catalog of episodes over the years for your own development. But amazingly to me, so many of you, in addition to using this show for yourself, have been so gracious to pass it along to colleagues, to friends, to family members and have allowed me the privilege to come into your lives and to come into your work and to, in some cases, be of a wonderful influence in your teams and your organizations. For all of that, thank you. It is a privilege and a joy to be able to bring this show to you every week. I will continue to do it as long as you allow me the privilege to be of influence in your work and in your leadership and in making the world a better place as we are all working to do. 500 episodes, and I am just getting started. There's so much more to come. Uh, I have lists <laughs> so long of all the conversations that are not yet have happened, <laughs> is the best way to say it. Many of them coming up in the coming months, lots of things that are actually already recorded and ready for you. I can't wait to continue the journey with you for another 
500 episodes. Today's conversation, if you found it useful, I hope that you will dive in further on some specific episodes. Uh, One of them is episode 344, The Way to Have Conversations That Matter with Celeste Headley. She is a host at NPR, an expert on helping people have better conversations. Of course, listening, such a key competency for us to be able to have better conversations and to connect well with the people that we lead, that we influence, and of course, in our families too. Episode 344, a wonderful compliment to this conversation. Another great compliment would be episode 408, the last time Oscar was on the show. Uh, On that episode, we talked about getting better at deep listening. So many of you reached out to me after Oscar was on the first time. So one of the reasons uh, he's back uh, today and furthering this conversation, just a wonderful compliment. And I know so many of you love his heart and his care and his joy for listening. Episode 408 just captures that so well. I'd invite you to also start there. And then uh, finally, episode 458, The Way to Be More Coach-Like with Michael Bungay-Stanier. Michael, the author of The Coaching Habit, also most recently, The Advice Trap. Uh, So much of coaching is really about good listening. It does start there, of course. And episode 458 is a wonderful invitation to uh, begin there and, of course, to continue that journey. All of those episodes you can find at coachingforleaders.com. And if you have not already, I invite you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. When you do, it's going to give you access to the entire library, all 500 episodes, but more importantly, searchable by topic. So perhaps uh, you would like to find more on having conversations. We've had so many episodes over the years focused on conversations and also on personal leadership, which is where this episode will be filed under both many, many other conversations there to support you. In addition, you'll get access to the entire MemberCast library, my own personal library, all the links in the weekly guides. And of course, you'll get the weekly guide coming every Wednesday to your inbox as well. Coachingforleaders.com is where to set up your free membership. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Andrea Wannerstrand to the show. She is a director of the International Coaching Federation, also a senior leader at Microsoft. She's going to be walking us through how Microsoft has built a coaching culture. Join me for that conversation. Have a great week, everyone. Take care.